You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. It's a joy to be with you this morning. After a 16-hour plane flight earlier this summer and quite a few road trips since then, we're glad to be with you today. I'm here with my whole family, so my wife, Gloria. We've been married 17 years. I'm here with our two daughters, Eliza, who's 12, Nora's 10, and then we have our, our two sons who are over um, in the kids' uh, ministry right now, Judson and Troy. And it's great to be here. It's our first time back in the U.S. for a couple of years, and so we're thankful for many blessings, one of which is Chick-fil-A. That was number one on our agenda, leaving the airport. So we made sure we weren't landing on a Sunday so we could take part in the heavenly chicken day one. And I think last night we were trying to count, don't judge us, but we've been back for almost a month and I think we've gone nine times. So at least nines. I think they went a couple times without me when I was in Orlando with your pastors. We're also thankful for the cold weather here of Texas. I sort of joke, um, the heat index a couple of days ago at midnight in Dubai was 125 degrees. So we told our kids, hey, it's going to be cool weather. And we told them that. We landed in Dallas, Texas about a month ago. We start walking out of the airport. My oldest son, Judson, said, dad, you said it was going to be cold. It's hot. I guess hot is just hot, right? There might be hottest. We might win the competition. But, but Texas and Houston in particular, it's still hot. It's humid. And so we, we feel at home. We're glad to be with you. Your ministry partnership is so special to us. We're so thankful for your prayers for us. We're thankful for your financial support. It's great to see your pastors visit us last year. Um, and so we love you. And it's great to, great to be with you. It's great to meet you. Um, it has special significance in my life because I spent many formative childhood years just down the street from here in Spring, Texas. I uh, went to elementary school at Tice Elementary School. If any of you are familiar with that, I grew up and I really personally, I, I take credit for this, I cheered on Hakeem Olajuwon in his dream shake to two NBA titles. And when I played Tecmo Bowl or Tecmo Super Bowl, for anybody who's my age who played those games, I was 100% of the time the Houston Oilers. And I think somewhere in the Guinness Book of World Records, you have my name and Warren Moon's name next to it, getting the most yards passing in the history of Tecmo Bowl and Nintendo. My earliest sports memories were trying to catch a foul ball at the Astrodome, then one of the wonders of the world, right? I love Houston. I love this city. I have so many memories here. I look forward later on tonight to take my kids to show them my old house in spring, to go by the elementary school and to introduce them to that important part of my life. And I love that Houston and Dubai often get talked about as two of the most diverse cities in the world. I love that we get to partner together in gospel ministry halfway around the world from each other. I love how we get to pray for each other. I love how we get to partner together to see the gospel go forth among the nations. What a great privilege that is. And so, so thankful for your, your pastors, Jeff, thankful for you and, um, and the, whole, the whole team, really grateful um, for your friendship, grateful for your prayers and uh, yeah, look forward to talking to many more of you afterwards. As you know, our home is far away. So halfway around the world, if you take a globe, almost exactly from Houston to Dubai, you just flip the globe around one time. And Dubai is the largest city in the United Arab Emirates. It's one of seven countries, the UAE is, 
that make up the Arabian Peninsula. So to our west, you have Saudi Arabia. To, our, to the south, you have the Sultanate of Oman. And then to the east, just across a few miles on the Persian Gulf, you would encounter uh, the country of Iran. Our city is the melting pot. Many of the world's least reached people groups are gathered in our neighborhoods. Our church is 90% Easterners and Africans. We have about 10% Westerners who've come there uh, to move. But if you visited our church, you would find Pakistanis and Indians. You'd find Nigerians and Lebanese. You'd find all kinds of, of Africans and East Asians who gathered together each week for us as we meet together for worship, it's, it's a little taste of heaven every time we gather together. Well, God has indeed been building his church in the Middle East, and it's a joy to really report to you uh, the news of God's work halfway around the world. And so today, I want to do something really simple. I want to look at a, a text that's not really that confusing, a text with not a lot of exegetical issues or problems, and yet it is a text that's hard to apply in our lives. But I want to simply have us today to pause and to, to praise God. And so if you have a Bible with you, we're going to look at the last Psalm in the Psalter. So Psalm 150. You'll find it almost in the middle of your Bible. As you, if you read through the Psalms, or maybe you took a Psalm a day at some point and read it or prayed through it, you'd see from Psalm 1 almost to the end, almost to Psalm 149, you see that the psalmist give us various instructions as how to praise God. Well, <coughs> excuse me. Well, Psalm 150 doesn't do that. Psalm 150 lacks descriptive praise. It doesn't give us specific instruction. There's no real instruction. The psalmist is kind of ending the Psalter by telling us, just do it. Just, just do it. Just praise God. He's not admonishing us. Now, while Psalm 1 is an appropriate introduction to the Psalm, to the Psalms and the whole Psalter, Psalm 150 is an appropriate conclusion. The psalmist is saying, hey, everything that you've read in the Psalter about how to praise God, now I want you to go out. I want you to do it. I want you to praise me. I want you to praise God. That's what, that's what God is telling us in Psalm 150. And in our particular psalm, it begins and it ends with the same phrase. You see it there, praise the Lord. As a literary form, this is called an inclusio. An inclusio is when you see the same exact phrase or a similar phrase in the beginning of a section and then at the end of the section. And what the author is telling us is that everything in between the beginning and the end is about that same thing. Everything in between those two phrases, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, is about praising the Lord. Now, this fact doesn't take a rocket scientist for us to figure it out because in our case, this is exactly what every verse tells us to do. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise him. Each verse begins with that admonition. Now, to praise means to acclaim, to respond, to rejoice in thanksgiving to something or to someone. It's an expression of appreciation. We praise the Lord because of our appreciation of him. It's our response to him. This psalm exhorts us to praise the Lord always. It's always time to praise the Lord. Never not a time to praise him. I was reminded of a story I heard another pastor share recently. Maybe you've heard this one um, before. It's a story of a preacher who owned a horse and wanted to sell his horse. There was a buyer interested 
And as the preacher said, you need to know that my horse, the horse I'm selling, doesn't respond to the normal vocabulary that a horse responds to. My horse responds to a more spiritual vocabulary. If you want this horse to go, don't say giddy up. If you say giddy up, the horse doesn't understand that language. If you want the horse to go, you need to say, praise the Lord. You say, praise the Lord, and the horse will take off and go. If you want the horse to stop, don't say, whoa. You say, whoa. The the horse doesn't understand that kind of language. You need to say the word, amen. You say, amen, and the horse will stop. Those are the only two commands you need to know. Praise the Lord and amen. Well, the man bought the horse. He got on the horse and he gently said, praise the Lord. And the horse started walking a little bit. He said a little louder, praise the Lord. The horse started walking and going faster at a nice steady pace. But all of a sudden the horse got scared. There's a little animal, a little rabbit that started walking across its path. And so the horse freaked out and ran the opposite direction as fast as it could towards a cliff. Of course, the riders freaked out a little bit. He's scared a little bit and he's yelling, whoa, whoa, but... The horse is not responding and he doesn't know what's going on. He gets towards the edge of the cliff and right at the very edge of the cliff, he remembers and he yells out, amen. The horse stops right at the edge of the cliff, right before falling off. And he's looking down there. He's sweating. His heart is racing. He's panting and he looks over the cliff and out of relief, he raises his hands and he says, praise the Lord. I suppose that's the only time it's inappropriate to say praise the Lord, right? It's the only time it's inappropriate to praise the Lord. That's the point of the psalm. That's the point of Psalm 150. We're supposed to praise the Lord all the time. We're not supposed to cease. There are no times when it isn't fitting to praise the Lord. Praising God is fitting for us as image bearers. It is what we were created for, to praise the Lord. And this psalm tells us the truth. It tells us this truth that we were made to praise the Lord. And here's the main point. If you're taking notes this morning, I have one main point and we'll break it up into four short sections. But the main point is this. Praise the Lord always and everywhere for what he's done, for who he is, and with all that you have. Praise the Lord always and everywhere for what he's done, for who he is, and with all that you have. Well, let's take those four phrases one at a time. So first, praise the Lord always and everywhere. Verse one, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. There's no condition to praising the Lord. You praise the Lord always. And where do we praise God? Well, everywhere in his sanctuary, in his mighty heavens. The sanctuary here refers to the temple in Jerusalem. It's where God's people gathered. Well, there's no temple today because believers are in the, our believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We praise them everywhere on earth, everywhere we go, all places. He's also praised in heaven. And right now, as we gather in Tomball, Texas, at this very moment and every moment, the angelic realm is praising him right now. The saints who've gone before us are praising God right now. No, God is to be praised in the heavens where he reigns and on the earth that he created in which he also reigns. And so what we're doing this morning as we sing and as we pray and as we hear God's word preached and God's word read and as we take communion, what we're doing now in worship, what we're doing now for but a few years is what we'll be doing for millions of years in all eternity. Our life now is a preparation for our lives in heaven. Worshiping and praising God is why we exist. 
As Pastor John Piper has famously said, missions exists because worship doesn't. That's the goal for our lives and the goal for the nations, that we would be worshiping God. That's the goal. Psalm 46, that God will be exalted in the nations, that he'll be exalted in all the earth. Psalm 67, our hope is that the nations will be glad and sing for joy. We were made to praise God. Well, for what are we to praise God for? We praise the Lord always and everywhere for what he's done, for who he is, and with all that you have. Let's look at that second phrase. We praise God for what he's done. We praise the Lord for what he's done. Verse 2a, we praise him for his mighty deeds. We're to look back and to praise God for what he's done. We praise God for creation. We praise God for our very lives. He holds our lives in his hands. He gave us life. He sustains our lives. If he stopped upholding the universe in your life for even but a moment, even but a millisecond, our lives would end. We also praise God for our friends, our family. We praise God for his provision, for our jobs. We even praise God for our trials. Now that might sound counterintuitive to us. But God is always doing more in our trials than we can see with our eyes. I continue to struggle with a nerve disability. If you don't know our story, I'm disabled in both of my arms with a nerve disorder for the last 13 or 14 years. I, I still can't shake hands. I can't drive or even put on my seatbelt. My wonderful daughter is always helping me get in the car and opening my doors. My wife drives us everywhere. I need help in my seatbelt, need help cutting my steak. I need help with little things, kind of day-to-day things that we often take for granted. There have been dark days of depression, really to the month that we decided to move over to the Middle East. That was 13 years ago was when my health started failing. One month after we moved, we lived in a a village first, two hours from Dubai. And that's when my health really got so bad that I had boil-like wounds on my fingers. I couldn't, couldn't touch anything. I would sit on the couch some days for hours and hours with a dark cloud of depression hanging over me. Those were dark days, depressing days. And yet God has continued to work in my heart in this trial He's worked in others through my weakness. See, this is what God does in our trials. He sanctifies us. He draws us nearer to him. He strengthens us. He encourages others in our pain. God helps us sympathize with others who are hurting. God uses our trials to glorify Christ. I don't know what trial you may be going through this morning, but God sees God knows and he doesn't waste it. There's more going on in your trials than you can see right now. We faced our share of trials in Dubai. There's been those health issues. We faced issues with visas and and various other problems. We've also faced issues with our meeting facility. On a number of occasions, I could tell you about four dramatic stories of our meeting facility issues, but our latest one happened on May 1st. We received a phone call from a member in our church who called us and said, have you heard the news? We said, what news? And she said, well, she was working for the Radisson Hotel. She said that the Marriott Hotel where our church meets is going to close down in 11 days. 
Now we have met there for eight years. The hotel has been in existence for 26 years. Now hotels don't just shut down, whether it's Dubai or Houston. Sometimes they maybe change brands instantly, but they don't just shut down after being a popular hotel for 26 years in the center of the city. This never, ever happens. And we start thinking to ourselves, there's a thousand hotels in Dubai. Why is our hotel the one that's shutting down? But it was. It was all over the newspapers. Finding a new place seemed impossible. We checked almost 100 places. We researched. We contacted. We, we looked in person. Zero options. We were praying. It was incredibly stressful. Finally, near the end of our week, after much prayer and much of our church bonding together in dependence upon God, we went back to a place that had said no about a year previously. And this time they said yes at a, at a good price. And so we, 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 we praised God. And yet the night before we were supposed to meet there. So we meet on Fridays. That's the Muslim holy day. That's the day people have off. So this is Thursday night. We're setting up the room just to get everything, everything right, everything set up for worship the next morning. And we, we received word from the hotel that, that, uh, that our permissions weren't um, exactly what they had, had wanted uh, for us. And so um, we couldn't meet there the next morning. Now, there's no way we can really even alert our whole church. I guess we can send out a message where we're envisioning the next morning, standing outside in front of the hotel, just kind of waving people back home. We thought 99.9% chance we weren't going to get to meet that next morning. Now, coupled with this fact, it was my 40th birthday that same day. So we're about to go celebrate, and we realize there's almost nothing to celebrate right now. We're about to, for the first time in almost 10 years, not meet corporately for worship. So we're depressed. We gather the staff and the, the elders that are present together. We sing, all glory be to Christ, and we just pray in dependence upon God. We think there's no way. It's the, the month of Ramadan, the month of fasting. It's about to be Iftar, where they break the fast on Thursday night. There's no way we can contact anybody. We're just praying for a miracle. In God's kindness, about a couple hours later, the events manager at our hotel had a connection somehow that she was able to get through. And two hours later, while my family's eating Chinese food, celebrating my birthday, we got word that we were allowed to meet that next morning at our new hotel. And so we, we praise God that for almost 10 years as a church, we've met publicly every single week for worship. And so we're grateful to our government there in our country. They're so wonderful and so kind to us. They've loved us well and provided a place for us. And we praise God. We also praise God that he's bringing new people to our church. Now, this just happened a few uh, months ago, but as a way to ask you, Redeemer Tomball, to pray for us and to pray that God would continue to build his church in Dubai, I just want to give you one story of how God's building his church through particular people coming. So let me just share about a homeless man from Cameroon who was living in a park. He left Cameroon weeks earlier for... Uh, a job, but his life savings were stolen from him. When he showed up in Dubai, there was no job. It was a lie. And so he had given his life savings for the plane ticket and for initial visas and for just kind of getting the job going, but he was lied to. So he shows up in Dubai. There's no job. There's no one there waiting for him. And he has no money to fly back to Cameroon. And so he's stuck. So he goes to a park and he hangs out in a park. No way home, nowhere to live. Well, at the same time, one of our elders who manages a hotel and a fellow employee, also a church member, they discover an injured baby crow at their hotel compound. It's more like a kind of a business uh, resort. And so there's different pools and trees and they notice this crow there. And now when I see a crow, I, I tend to walk the other direction because crows are gross birds, aren't they? 
They're scavengers. They're gross. They're, it's not, not something I would flock to. But these two men pick up the baby crow and decide that they were going to nurse the crow back to health. That's, that's crazy to me, but they did. And you could even go to our elder's house and he's got a huge bird cage with an air conditioner in it, like a window unit to, to really help in the Dubai heat with this bird. And so they nurse the bird back to health and they bring the bird to the hotel and they let the crow fly around the hotel because see, they've become quite attached to the crow. The crow has become quite attached to them. The crow would even sit on their shoulders. The crow would, would, would walk around the hotel, or fly, I should say, as they walked around the hotel. He was very affectionate to them. But one day they encountered a problem because he, the crow wasn't quite as affectionate to some of the hotel guests. One day the hotel pecked a woman's head and shed blood. Now that's bad news for business. That starts getting around. It's bad news for hospitality. And so the manager tells his employee, Jojo, hey, we've got we've to send out our crow into the wild. And so he asked Jojo, would you drive the crow across the freeway and let him go out into the wild? And so he does. Said bye to their beloved crow and the crow flies away to a park and lands on a bench next to a homeless man from Cameroon. And the crow, just like he did to the engineers at the hotel, befriends this lonely man from Cameroon and sits there, sits on his shoulder, spends some time together. And then one day, the Cameroonian man notices a piece of paper on the crow's foot. Now, I promise I didn't make this story up, by the way. Now, you couldn't make the story up if you tried, but he sees this piece of paper on the crow's foot and he grabs it. So obviously, they're good enough friends. The crow lets him grab the piece of paper. He opens the piece of paper and there's a phone number on the piece of paper. He says, well, I've never seen a phone number on a crow's foot before. I better call it. And so he goes and finds a phone, calls a number, and it's Jojo, our church member there. They strike up a conversation. Jojo invites them to come meet up with him and the manager of the hotel. They strike up a friendship. Our manager, Butch, of the hotel hires this man to work at his hotel, finds housing for this man, and then brings him to church. Now, we all get to meet this Cameroonian man whose name is appropriately named uh, Bless. We meet Bless and I'm proud to say that on the 24th of May, it was, he was our first member addition via bird in our church's history. <laughs> Bless now serves on our setup team and is, is, is walking with Jesus and serving in our church. And as I think about this almost unbelievable story, I think about how much God loves his people. How much God loves Bless and loved Bless and will continue to love Bless that he sent a crow to go get him in the park that God used these two Filipino men to care for a crow, to feel led to, to care for an injured crow on the ground. Now, who does that? Nobody. But, but God works in mysterious ways to care and love his people and to build his church. I just think about this crow falling out of its nest, to think about these men caring for the crow, to think about the, the crow even annoying and even hurting some of the hotel guests, to flying away right to the park, to going right to bless to, to somehow Jojo thinking to tag the crow's foot with his phone number, all these little details. And I think only God could do that, right? Only God could do that. And so we pray and we ask you to continue to pray that God would build his church in Dubai, that God would bring his people to us. We know that God often answers us in ways 
that we couldn't ask or even imagine. And so pray, pray for more church plants. Pray for them to build our church. Pray for our church plant in Beirut, Lebanon. Pray for us as this next year, we aim to plant in Kuwait City, Kuwait, and in Kochi, India. Pray for him to work in ways beyond what we could even pray. And praise God with us. Praise God for what he's doing in Dubai. Praise God for how he's building church, his church in the Middle East. There's wars and rumors of wars all around us. And yet God is saving souls in the Middle East. Well, the psalm is a call for us to praise God for his work around the world. It's also a call for us to personally praise God for what he's doing in our lives. Is your life a life of praise? Is your heart a heart of praising or complaining? Are you regularly taking time to praise God, just to sit back and to reflect on what God has done and to give him the praise and the glory? Now, here's one way of considering this. What do you think about when you have nothing you have to think about? What do you pray about when you have nothing you have to pray about? When you're alone at the end of the day, what thoughts enter your mind? Where does your mind go when you lay in bed at night? Of course, there are heartaches and hardships. But normally when your mind settles, there's empty space. Where does your mind, where does your heart go? Do you praise God? Are you thankful to God for what he's done in your life? Are you a glass half full kind of person or are you a glass half empty kind of person? Always focusing on the health, the relationships, the money, the freedoms you don't have. Do you live a life of praise or a life of ingratitude? Do you proclaim or do you complain? Well, the ultimate antidote to a life of ingratitude is to praise the Lord for his greatest act, the act of redemption. Now, Christians are not glass half empty kind of people because the cup overflows with God's grace over us every day. Oh, Christian, we praise God for his greatest act, Christ's death on the cross. We've all rebelled against God. We've all turned away from our creator and rejected him. We've all walked away from him. We've walked in the opposite direction in rebellion. We wanted to be the God of our lives. We wanted to decide what was right and wrong. We didn't want to follow his rule and reign. We gave our lives over to sin. And the Bible says that our just punishment is death and judgment. But the good news of the gospel that we've already been singing this morning is that God so loved us that God so loved his people that he gave his one and only son, that Jesus, God in the flesh, came to us, that he lived a perfect life, and he marched willingly, the book of Luke says, he set his face towards Jerusalem, and he marched willingly to the cross, that he went there for us, that he went there out of love for us. Oh, friends, church, we can't forget this. As we go about our daily lives, as we go about the trials and the triumphs, we can't forget the cross, that we deserve the curse but Jesus took it, that we deserve death, but Jesus died, that we deserve to face the overflowing cup of God's wrath, but Jesus faced it. It was there on the cross that the greatest of all exchanges took place. We should have been there on the cross, but praise the Lord. Praise him. Praise Jesus for taking the penalty for us. Well, friend, if you're here 
this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. I'm personally so glad that you're here. I know the Redeemer Church leadership is so glad that you're here. You're always welcome and we're thrilled that you've joined us today. But we encourage you and urge you to turn to Jesus, to turn to him in faith, believing that Jesus is the savior of the world, repenting of your sin. And when you do that, you can join us in praising God for salvation. You can join us in praising God for sparing us death and giving us everlasting life. Look to him. Look to him. Praise the Lord always and everywhere for what he's done, for who he is, and with all that you have. Let's look at that third phrase. We praise the Lord for who he is. Verse 2b. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. We praise God for what he does, but we also praise God for who he is, no matter what he does. We praise him simply for who he is. Now, if you want to try to grow your prayer and praise of God, if you want to try to grow your prayer life and your praising of God life, if you want to grow your praise, the goal is actually not trying to improve your prayer life. Your goal is actually not trying to improve your praising of God. It's something else. Now, I've been to the country of India many times. Dubai is just a three-hour plane flight from India, so it's cheap. It's easy, just a couple time zones, and so many of us are ministering in India quite often. Well, on my very first trip, it'll always be memorable to me, and what was most memorable was the car ride from the airport to my friend Shaker's house. So Shaker picks us up. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. Now, 3 a.m. in Tombal, I'm guessing the roads are pretty quiet, not in India. Shaker picks me up and drives me across town And what I notice along the roads almost instantly is that they are filled with taxis and motorcycles and bicycles, pedestrians, cars, animals, all sharing that one space. Truly incredible. And Shaker is a superhero making all kinds of crazy moves. At one point, I thought he was going to drive up the side of the building like Spider-Man. The scariest moment, though, was as we were driving. At one point, he slammed on the brakes as hard as he could. My eyes are closed because I'm so scared and so terrified. And then when I opened my eyes, what seemed like about one inch from my face, staring directly at me, was one big, fat, black, hairy, scary cow. God had just spared my life because those brakes in that car worked well, and Shaker was a superhero Now, I saw illustrated right before me on that drive from the airport to the house is that the key to driving is to not think about driving. It's not to think about the gear shift. It's not to think about the steering wheel. It's not to think about how the car works. It's not to think about how how the car was built. Not to think about even what you're doing as you drive. The key to driving is to concentrate on the road. It's to keep your eyes on the road so that you avoid other cars, people, and even the rogue cows. And so it is with God in prayer and praise. If you just look at prayer and the theories floating around about prayer, you obsess over the 50 ways guaranteed to improve your prayer life. You get all the right apps on your phone to help you pray. Now, those things might help you, but if that's all you do is that you try harder, you try to pray harder and try to praise harder, if that's all that you do, eventually you'll get stuck. Instead of getting fixated on those things, the psalmist is telling us, look at God. Look at God. Concentrate on God. The key to praising God in prayer is to looking at who God is. 
It's to look to God. It's to praise him for his excellent greatness. Oh, friend, praise the Lord for who he is. He is holy and he is glorious. There is none like him. He's perfect and he's loving and he's merciful. He's infinite. He is eternal. Our God is immutable. God never changes. Our circumstances might change. Our health might change. Our relationships might change, but God never changes. He's unchanging from now on into eternity. He's perfectly just. He can do no wrong. He's perfectly loving. He's kind. He's self-sufficient. He has no needs. He's perfectly wise. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. God is supreme over all things. He reigns over every square inch on this planet. There's not a desert or sea that he doesn't have dominion over. He rules over the mountains and he rules over the valleys. Every lion, every blue whale lives in submission to their creator. God rules over all. He's in control over your marriage. He's in control over your singleness. Over your difficult family situation. He's not confused by your health ailments. God has never puzzled at your financial situation. He knows your trials and he knows your triumphs. And he reigns supreme over all. He's in total control. Praise God for who he is. Praise the Lord always and everywhere for what he's done, for who he is, and with all that you have. Let's look at that final phrase, the fourth Part. Praise the Lord with all that you have. How do we praise him? We'll look at verses three through six. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We praise God with all that we have with all that we are. And it's illustrated here with musical instruments, with, with dance, trumpet, lute, harp, tambourine, dance, strings, pipes, sounding cymbals, loud clashing cymbals. This is why we sing and use instruments in our services. God tells us to. That's why we spend so much time singing in our services. Now, some of us struggle musically. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands and confess, but I'm probably at least near tone deaf. I can't even get an audition for our church's music team. I've tried over And over again, they won't let me try out. (coughs) Maybe if I move here to Houston, you guys will let me try out. I don't know. But they won't even let me try out. But still in my services, I sing my heart out. Each week I sing my heart out. I know my voice is no angelic utterance. I've heard it said though, that the reason we sing is not because we have a great voice. The reason we sing is because we have a reason to sing. The reason we as Christians sing loudly to God and to one another is because we have a reason to sing. We have a reason to praise God. The reason we sing is because we have a reason to sing. We have a great God. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Our entire lives are to praise the Lord. So we look back and we see that God has been faithful in the past. And so we praise God for his faithfulness in the past. We praise God for his faithfulness in the present. And so we know, we know that God will be faithful in the future. And so we praise God for now. We praise God for what is to come. Oh, friend, look 
at what God has done in your life and praise him. I heard a pastor recently share about a miracle berry. It's called that because when you put it into your mouth, it changes the taste of everything you eat afterwards. The miracle fruit originates in West Africa. Locals will often eat it before their meals because again, it makes everything else you put in your mouth taste sweet, taste wonderful, delicious. Now, personally, I'd love to do this before eating certain foods. I don't eat eggs. Now, I know that sounds strange to most of you. I, I, I don't eat eggs. I just can't. I can't do it. I've tried three times in the past 35 years. Three people have said, I make the best eggs in the world, the best scrambled eggs in the world. You're going to love them. I just, I couldn't do it. Couldn't get them down. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I failed on each attempt. It's because I had a childhood trauma involving eggs. My grandmother, whom I loved, made scrambled eggs for breakfast when I was visiting and she wouldn't let me leave the breakfast table until I ate every single bite. Now this was horrible. So I did what any creative child would do and when she wasn't looking, I hid them around her house. So under the tablecloth, a little scrambled eggs. In the soil of her plants, a little scrambled eggs. Surprise. I even flushed some down the toilet. I did whatever I could to avoid those dreaded scrambled eggs. Now, kids, I'm not giving you any ideas for later today, okay? But this is what I did. Today, I can't even get eggs close to my mouth. The smell, the texture, the, the taste. But perhaps if I ate one of those miracle taste berries beforehand, I'd be okay. If only there were a few of those berries laying around my grandmother's house, then I would have survived. Well, the point the pastor was making in this illustration was that praise is the miracle fruit or the miracle berry of the Christian life. So when you praise God, no matter what you're going through, no matter how bitter the taste of your trial is, our praise takes even the greatest sorrow and makes it pleasant to us. Praising God puts everything else in our lives in perspective. Though life may be bitter at times, we're able to see God's sweet providence behind every aspect of our lives. Our praise honors God. It works a miracle in our hearts. No matter what you've been through, friend, no matter what you're facing right now, praise God for who he is. Praise God for what he's done. Praise God with all that you have. He will make sweet all that's bitter. See, our trials are not good. Disability is not good. Pain is not good. Death is not good. Those things are not good. Those things are a result of a fallen world. They're not good things. But God, praise God that Romans 8 is true. That God takes all things. That God works all things. That God works all trials, even the worst trials. Somehow, I can't understand how. We can't understand how or why, but God takes all trials and somehow uses them for our good and for his glory. Oh, praise the Lord. He will make sweet all that's bitter. He'll do that in part today. And we know that he'll do it in full one day in glory. That there's a day coming. There's a day coming when that miracle fruit, when that miracle berry will be in full bloom. But that all our sadness on that day will be turned to gladness. All our tears 
will be turned to delight. Our pain will be gained and our eyes will behold our Savior face to face for all eternity, where we will be surrounded by the saints from all times and all places and all nations. And together we will be praising God for all eternity, unimpeded forever and ever and ever. Oh friend, until that time, may we together see what our great God has done and would it melt our hearts. Oh friend, praise the Lord always and everywhere for what he's done, for who he is, and with all that you have. Let's pray. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.